0: Welcome to Locked on Bucks, I'm Eric Name, Walkie Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin and joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing buddy? Happy almost New Year's Eric. Uh,
1: I'm doing fine, although it feels like uh, my roughly two weeks of vacation around uh, around the holidays are are almost uh, rapidly ending soon so I'm I'm trying to savor these uh these last few days and thankfully the Milwaukee Bucks have given us some some things to enjoy here. Uh obviously Christmas Day <laughs> it was enjoyable and uh the last couple of games since then uh you, you covered the the second win over the Knicks uh in whatever it was, three days. Uh and
0: uh And also my mouth like was freaking out during it and I kept saying can't nur. And I don't know why I couldn't say Ennis Cantor. I literally, my mouth like was not allowing it to happen. And like, I didn't even realize it at the moment. And then, I like, listened back and I was like, what the hell was wrong with my mouth? Like, Why couldn't I say Cantor?" And I kept saying Cantner over and over and over And So, uh, sorry for any of that. I-, I know a couple people said that was me throwing shade at him for not knowing his name, which, okay, that's fair. Uh, he definitely deserved it that night. Uh, but also, some people said they really needed Spicy Frank uh, because I feel like you really would have made some jokes at Ennis Cantor's uh, expense with with the ridiculousness of, of that entire. Situation.
1: It's hilarious that you bring that up. We did not talk about this uh, before the podcast or or at all. Um, but I I I was sitting there driving um, from Texas to uh, to uh, to Houston. I'm in Houston today at um, my in laws, and uh, I don't know where we were. I think we were, I think we had just left Memphis. We we stayed overnight in Memphis and we were listening to, to you. My, my wife was in the back seat with, uh, you know, we've got like one of those three row SUVs. So my wife was sitting in the back seat, baby in the, you know, in the back as well. And I was sitting in the front and I, I queued up, you know, the podcast and, um, I had listened to the game, shout out to Ted Davis, uh, on Sirius XM radio as we were driving. And then, cause I was driving and obviously couldn't watch it. And then I had watched it, you know, um, kind of quickly then after we got to the hotel late at night and, um, so I kind of knew what had happened, but obviously I wanted to hear your 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 you know your take, your pod. And as you were repeatedly saying Cantner, I, I, at one point I, <laughs> I turned it off. I turned it for a second just to tell my wife, I feel like I'm getting triggered hearing Eric mispronounce Cantner over and over again, just so you're aware <laughs> of that. Um, and so, yes, um, I, I did notice and uh
0: everyone knows because i did it a million times like i and i still to this day don't know like what happened to my mouth for that 30 minutes like i i i honestly have no idea
1: yeah well the uh the pronunciation police i i see our listeners uh were right there with me i guess uh (laughs) getting all over you for that um but uh glad glad you came clean glad i didn't have to uh call you out unprompted um so that's cool and uh you know, it's one of the lockdown bucks traditions. If uh, if you mispronounce a name, we we call it out. Uh, and um, you know, random random grammar stuff we sometimes like to <laughs> like to bring
0: up as well. Um, so, how ridiculous did you find all of his antics?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of did. So, I didn't see uh, he had a blood under his eye. Right, he had like a bloody yeah. eye socket from something. Right, so I didn't see like what. I i I'd heard reference to him being mad about something else, at like an, another elbow thrown at him, and that was probably why he, you know, was feeling frisky. Let's say um, with Giannis, because we all know, obviously, Cantor not one to to try on defense really at all. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, it is what it is, you know. I I, uh, I guess I saw some of the Fizdale comments. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want guys taking cheap shots at anyone, let alone Giannis. Um I think if he had gotten a a shot of his own that he was pissed off about, then I guess maybe it's at least a little more understandable. But I mean again, probably the thing that annoyed me the most was just like the fact that the refs like couldn't see it in in real time, you know? Um like the fact that literally like Giannis gets hit in the face um in real time and they call nothing is just like ridiculous. And especially with Giannis having had a concussion earlier this season, like I mean you, you just don't know. I mean like any shot to the head could be something that, you know, causes him some type of, you know, second concussion and then who knows, right? I mean we've seen this with with obviously other guys yeah. that that these things can turn out serious like multiple kind of blows to the head. So that that was probably the part that worried me the most, not that it was, you know, necessarily like the most vicious or premeditated or whatever, but um I don't know, yeah. Like I let's just say I um you know, I respect Ennis Cantor's like, you know, he's he's a very outspoken critic of of the Turkish uh, regime uh, back home in his um I guess I think he actually was grew, grew up in Switzerland, but he's obviously of Turkish descent, his parents are Turkish and um I respect, you know, Cantor. I mean, he basically doesn't have a country anymore, like he like essentially has lost his passport because of his criticism of a lot of things that have happened in Turkey and I you know, I, he's I'd say a very courageous guy in that regard. Um but on the court yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, let's just say, not the biggest fan of <laughs> Ennis Cantor, and obviously he's been a a pretty frustrating kind of guy throughout his career, because he's obviously, you know, really talented in many ways. But, um, you know, I mean, there's a reason why, obviously, he hasn't really stuck uh, any place for too long, and, um, you know, why he here is, is you know, I don't know if people saw, but after this weekend, he basically was more or less bench. He obviously came off the bench um, the other night as well to uh, the immortal Luke Cornette. Um, and that in itself is not shocking. I mean, he's been a six man, you know, throughout much of his career, but um, the fact that he got really ticked off and was saying how he just wants to play basketball. And, you know, I think he only played seven minutes the other night. I, I you know, I, I kind of found that amusing when I saw that come up on Twitter. So, um, you know, and Cantor, <laughs> good riddance uh, as you were talking about, and you talked to the players, you know, uh, I'm, well, I mean, heck, I, I'd, I'd always like to play the Knicks more because they aren't that good. But, um, you know, on another level, I'm, I'm kind of happy to be done with them and um, done with uh, kind of some of the BS that, you know, over over a series where there's, you know, a little bit of bad blood maybe at times uh, can, can kind of pile up. So onward and upward. Good riddance. Next is, uh, I guess, maybe the the real takeaway.
0: All right, uh, let's talk about the other team in New York. The Brooklyn Nets uh, were in town on Saturday night. Bucks win one twenty nine, one fifteen in that one. And I mean, I'm trying to think exactly where to go here, but I mean, for me, I think you start with um, saying hello to Ryan Hollins. How you doing, buddy? Um, you had a, a just unbelievably terrible take. Um, and Giannis decided to pretty much just, just disprove every part of your argument, uh, in, in that game, L- literally that game, he, he showed you all of the reasons in which you are wrong about whether or not he can close games and lead stuff. And, uh, is, is he just a role guy or whatever the hell Ryan Holland said? Um, he, he, he showed you all of those things were, were dead wrong. And uh, hit a bunch of jumpers, and I mean, I I just think the thing that stood out to me. And I asked him about it after the game, but you know, someone asked him about his jumper and how he was feeling, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't really think of anything else other than the Nets go on this huge run. They get it down to single digits for the first time uh, in the second half, and Giannis goes to the left wing, plants his left foot. Catches a pass, steps into it with a right, and buries a three. And it was just like, what? What the hell was that? <laughs> that's the that's the most confidently he's taken that shot this entire year. That's I think the best his form has looked the entire year. It was literally plant the left, catch, right step, rise, fire, bang, and it ends this huge Nets run. It, it puts the Bucks back up twelve, and then. Uh from there, they kind of just push the the nets away and just keep having answers offensively and you know like that that play to me was just so strange to see just how much confidence he had and you know that I think it kind of speaks to what his jumper's been as of late i I'm sure Bud isn't loving all of the mid range jumpers that he and Chris Middleton are taking, but you know we've seen some of those rhythm jumpers that that Giannis kind of had at times last year. And, uh, you know, I I just thought that he was obviously great, but for him to close that game down with jump shots was, uh, I mean, something that we don't see all that often. So 31 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, two steals, three blocks, and jumpers to kind of end it from Giannis.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, the the Ryan Holland stuff, I mean, there's like a obvious, uh, like, don't feed the bears type, Type side to this, um so I actually haven't. I haven't even watched like, and I think he even came up with another clip of comments today or something like that. um I have not. Why I don't even like like. So Ryan Hollins, um, he tweet. I, I just remember before the season he tweeted out like, I think because I think he's part of like the ESPN rank or whatever, and it was like he had like his top ten players, and I think his like. I'm pretty sure his eight, nine, 10 were Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Donovan Mitchell (laughs) did not have, did not have Giannis. It was just like, did you just like come up with seven guys? And then you just like listed the three, like top rookie of the year vote vote getters last year. It's like, you think those guys are top 10 and wait, you don't have Giannis. So, I mean, his like, you know, garbage (laughs) takes like, you know, it, it goes back a ways. Um, And, you know, look, so I, whatever, like it's kind of, part of me is like i don't want to dignify it i I did tweet out someone had a i think um was it jonathan gautier someone on uh someone tweeted out a uh they they synced up i think his comments (laughs) against Giannis's like highlights from the other night i did not even listen to the audio because again i was like i just like don't even want to bother with it um but uh but yeah i mean look like whatever like you know it, it, it there's obviously value in Giannis like getting consistency with his jump shot like you know i mean there's two sides to this right like i think there's always this thing of like well if Giannis gets his jump shot then oh then he's gonna be scary and we've always kind of joked about that because people say it every year and then he takes it to another level every year even without really improving <laughs> dramatically on his jump shot and this year i mean is the ultimate you know example of that because his jump shot is you know especially his three-point shot which is the thing that everybody obviously understandably focuses on is you know basically regressed to the worst uh the worst point of his of his career um but it is interesting because i mean he's he's shooting 42 percent on long twos he's taking about half as many as he did a year ago last year about 16 percent of his shots were long twos the year before that 15 percent year before that 14 percent year before that 19 percent so he was always in that like you know mid to high teens percentile in terms of his shot distribution coming on long twos this year only eight percent i would hazard maybe it's gone up a little bit in the last like week or two um but he's shooting 42 percent on those and that's the highest of his career uh it's also ironically the highest of any bucks player this this season which is you know kind of bizarre (laughs) um but also i think sort of a product of the fact that nobody really takes many of these shots anymore um, so, you know, Middleton takes the highest percentage of shots on long twos and he's only taking 9.5% of his shots on long twos, which is obviously, um, you know, well below what, what Chris has, has historically done. So, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of, kind of small sample to this. Um, but it's, it's obviously, I think, you know, like Chris is basically exactly half of what he was a year ago and last is 19%. Um, so it's one of those things, obviously like you don't want him becoming overly reliant on that, but, um, You know, it's obviously good to have in the bag, especially like in the next game, like Noah Vonley was just, you know, sagging way off him. And, um, you know, I think it's it's a positive if you can take a wide open shot and um, turn it into something that, you know, teams at least have to vaguely respect. Because as you've pointed out as well, I mean, mean, we've seen it many times, like Giannis hits a three or sometimes even just takes a three. The next time, if he pump fakes, teams suddenly are like jumping to try to block it because that's just the way players are wired right i mean we've seen that for the bucks as well like you know nba players yep. you you don't you know most guys are not like selectively challenging shots like if they see a guy taking a jump shot they're going to try to block it or challenge it and make the guy have a harder shot and um you know even with Giannis, who you want taking jump shots uh you know i think team guys are, are still especially if they see one go in um they're going to change how they play him a little bit so it's it's obviously a positive to see him make some of those shots it obviously you know makes him more of a threat especially one-on-one late in games you know having something in his bag of tricks that obviously has not really been there um and that's obviously the balance right it's just like having enough of that in your bag of tricks that it's a threat that you can go to it when absolutely needed but also not to the point where you're getting too much practice at it and you know yeah. taking a lot of low percentage shots because you know let's be clear even at 42 percent you know expected value of a jump shot is 0.84, which is way below what the Bucks, you know, normally get in terms of offensive possessions, right? Even if you sometimes get an offensive rebound off those, um, you know, anything else Giannis does is generally going to be worth over, you know, a point per possession. So, um, so I think it's positive that, that the ball is going in a bit. It's obviously great to see him hit two threes uh, against the the nets, you know, and you mentioned looking confident doing it the other one was an air ball. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you know, that, that is still sort of something that is happening. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I I think at this point, you know, we're too far into the season at this point, like he's not going to get so hot and recover and mean revert to the point that he finishes the year shooting 35% or something like that. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, but Mm -hmm. again, like if he can, Shoot well enough, like if he can for the rest of the season shoot in the low thirties, right? Just shoot thirty-one percent, which is where he was a year ago. Um, you know that's that's important. You know if you can get get those numbers up over twenty percent, so it's not historically terrible. Um, that would be nice. But um, you know, again, I think um, it's it's obviously just fun watching him kind of continue to expand his arsenal. And um, you know, I think you pointed out as well, um, not just the jump shot, but you know, even like behind the back dribbles as he attacks (laughs) like you know like we've seen a couple different things that he's been doing over the past week or two and um you know obviously he did have that stinker against the heat but um other than that pretty much you know giving teams 30 a night and and obviously against the nets adding 10 assists had eight assists the night for that um you know he's obviously operating at the height of his powers blocking shots getting steals doing all that stuff so he's been just
0: he's been the mvp I I know what I'm saying when I say this, but I'm not sure he's made a more ridiculous move this year than splitting that double with the behind the back that I'm not sure he even knew where the ball was going to be when he put it behind his back, but he finds it. And then not only does he find it and take a layup, he immediately turns the next dribble into a Euro and (laughs) and lays in a finger roll. And it was just like, what? Come on. What are you gonna do with that? Like, uh, how how are you if that's a thing that Giannis can do? Like, what the hell are you gonna do because it's over; it's curtains. Uh, no matter what, he's gonna be able to find a way to score. That I just thought that was, you know, one of the most ridiculous moves I've seen him make because that behind the back is obviously a, a counter that he can kind of use uh, to some of the moves that he normally makes. Going to his right, um, you know, as he's he's dribbling through defenses, but. Man, that was that was just ridiculous. Um, and you know, uh, also shout out to his teammates uh, and Chris Middleton for helping him get uh, rebound ten and assist ten. Uh, he had he had locked down the victory, and then uh, he was able to get that final rebound. I think on a missed free throw from the Nets, um, and then come down in transition. No one really paying attention to Chris Middleton and just pitch it back to Chris Middleton for a three. And I think that's the the next most important thing in that game is Chris Middleton, 11 of 15, four of six from the three point line, 29 points, seven assists, four rebounds, uh, a steal for him as well. And he's a plus 20 on the night. And, you know, I, I joked about it after the game by, by saying, am I allowed to say the S word anymore to, to both Chris and, and Brooke Lopez and Giannis and, you know, uh, I don't. I have no idea when a slump is officially broken, or you know, you are out of it. Um, but certainly, these last two games for Chris uh, have looked a little bit better. Uh, he scored a little bit better, and you know, why I didn't want to say something like this after the second New York game um, was because you know, Chris just got to the basket a lot. Like he, he didn't really uh, kind of play in in the way that. You know, you'd feel that his slump is busted. He didn't shoot like eight or nine threes or anything like that. Like he just, you know, kind of got to the basket, got himself into some good spots and, and was able to score. And, you know, that, that I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if that makes people feel like a, a whole lot better about like Chris Middleton. Oh, yeah, the slump's gone. But, you know, four or six from the three point line against the Nets, like, uh, you, you know, you, Chris said, "I don't know if it's uh, it's over, but you know, I, I sure I sure hope so. Uh, and you know, maybe maybe that's the game—four uh, of six from the three-point line—that you know kind of turns it around for Chris. And uh, you know, maybe he's able to kind of leave that slump in the month of December and and get off to a better start in January when uh, the Bucks get into their next game. But you know, it it is just such a huge difference for this team when." when he's hitting threes and he's playing at, you know, the height of his powers like that, that really changes things. And, you know, you look at that 42 point second quarter where, where the bucks just go off and, you know, (laughs) we've never seen it, but, you know, if they have uh, a great shooting, actually, I shouldn't say that. They had that 144 point game that I think might've been the offense at the height of its powers. Like, I mean, if everyone gets going, and obviously that includes Chris Middleton, like if everyone gets going, like this team can just put up ridiculous numbers. I I don't even know if video game numbers is – is giving it enough credit because even on a video game, I think you might screw up the shooting motion enough not to put up those type of numbers. Like it's just ridiculous what this offense can do when everything's kind of going.
1: Yeah. And it's been fun seeing, you know, uh, especially the, the the other night, obviously seeing the three pointers really start to drop. You know, we mentioned um, they won some games in spite of their three point shooting uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and obviously what we saw uh, the other night hitting how many did they hit? They hit over 20, right? Um, 21 21 uh, obviously then uh, then they become extremely difficult to 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 stop and obviously defensively uh, overall they've been trending in in a better direction in that regard Uh, I think on I think on cleaning the glass right now I think they're second in uh, offense and fourth in defense I want to say so um, you know all the kind of fundamentals we've talked about all year long are are still still there still very strong you know they they're incredible at pre- preventing shots at the rim and basically forcing you to miss when you do they're best in the league at both frequency and opponent shooting percentage at the rim uh fewest fewest free throws uh, attempted by opponents as well as bet- also
0: before right. uh before Saturday's game I mentioned uh you know uh the, I'd kind of talked with some people that you know I felt the the Knicks game on December 1st was in some ways a turning point. Chris gets benched and then, you know, the offense is maybe suffering a little bit, but the defense kind of really turned around and, you know, we had this really interesting conversation about how the Bucks managed it, how Bud thought, you know, they started to be more physical defensively and, you know, started to impose their will a little bit more. And uh, he, he obviously admitted that the schedule kind of helps out as well, um, that, you know, they had some weaker teams there, but, you know, he thought the defense was doing a really good job of being physical and not falling. And then, than than not shoot thirty five free throws. Uh, after the game, he he was not ready to throw me. He was ready to throw me under the bus, but did not. Um,
1: you were you were baiting him. You were <laughs> baiting him into a fine, but he uh, he just wouldn't take it.
0: No, no, he would not. But you know, it, I, I do think that is kind of one of the interesting things here. And you know, I I mentioned it on I think Friday's podcast, uh, or it was one of the podcasts I recorded by myself recently. Like Giannis doesn't get a very good whistle. Like uh, I think we we all kind of. I think in many ways believe that, and you know, I think you saw another spot where Shabazz Napier shoots twelve free throws in that game, and the Bucks shoot sixteen as a team. Like Giannis lives in the paint, and and that's kind of how it goes. Like I, that just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I, I was I was seeing if Mike Boonholzer wanted to give it a go because it certainly appeared uh, like he did during the game um, because he was. He is quite ready uh, and quite animated for a, a number of those uh, not great calls, let's call them. Um, and yeah, it was that that was just it was just kind of funny that you know uh, after talking about how proud of he was he was of his team of getting more physical without fouling, they give up thirty five free throws.
1: Yeah, and again, I think this kind of gets back to something I mentioned the other night. I mean, you know, when you can be a top five offense top five defense then you know you're probably doing multiple things well on both sides and you can win games in different ways and um you know we've seen the bucks win more games with their defense of late and uh when you hit 21 threes then you certainly have a much bigger margin of error defensively you can you know rightly or or not rightly uh uh rightly or wrongly i guess not right not rightly would be wrongly um rightly or wrongly get um you know whistled for a bunch of fouls and and still kind of you know uh, kind of bounce back and and shake it off. So uh, and, and then we should note as well. I mean, this was a a brutal back to back for the Nets. They didn't even play uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell. They rested him. They played the night before uh, on the East Coast. I think it was in Charlotte, I want to say. Yep. Um. So they had an early game in the East Coast, and they have to play a four o'clock Central game um on Saturday, Crazy. which just I, I don't. I mean, I don't even know
0: how that gets scheduled.
1: Yeah, I don't. It's weird. I don't. I don't know why it would be a four o'clock game it's not like you have to play. It's not like the Bucks have some tradition of four o'clock Saturday games or something like that. I don't, no. I don't, I can't, That's strange. I won't guess. I can't guess as to why, uh, why it was scheduled the way it was, but um, another big crowd. It, it seems like that has been a theme of late. I, I was going to, I was thinking I might make a joke about, you know, coming into this pod uh, about the Packer season, mercifully being over. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening are Green Bay Packer fans. Others may have no interest whatsoever in the NFL, which, would be a good year if you're a Green Bay Packer fan to <laughs> not be interested in the NFL because, uh, you know, the Packers were terrible and finished their season in terrible fashion uh, on Sunday. Uh, so, you know, it, it, we often kind of talk about this, how like, you know, sort of the collective mindshare of sort of Wisconsin sports fans doesn't really kind of shift over to the Bucks so much until uh, the Packers season is over. And, and obviously with the way the Packers have been playing, that's been say an easier task to kind of get that interest. Um, so the Packers are now done and, um, you know, really, I mean, we haven't mentioned it yet, but obviously a big theme of the last couple of days on, on uh, Bucks Twitter was the fact that after the Raptors lost uh, the other night that we knew, you know, the Bucks were going to have the best record in the NBA going into yesterday's game. And then obviously winning against the Nets guaranteed them that they would have the NBA's best record going into the new year. So, um, pretty pretty cool thing to be able to say i mean you know we can nitpick whatever we want about this team but to be and we're good you know, at it we're good at it we're good at it um <laughs> but to be at the point where you know giannis is sort of the at least front runner for mvp boodenholzer is probably the front runner for coach of the year you have the best record in the league um it's obviously very tenuous with the raptors you're you know basically um you know just percentage points ahead of them but um I mean, you can't ask for much more, right? <laughs> Maybe there are a couple of games that that you can point at, like the Phoenix game or whatever, and say, "Oh, if we had won those games, and it'd be even better." But um, their their actual record has more or less caught up to their kind of expected record based on point differential. I think they were, uh, I think I looked on Basketball Reference. Their expected one loss is 26 and nine now, so they're 25 and 10. So things have kind of largely evened out. Uh, and obviously, we're still seeing them, you know, really kind of take care of business against some of these bad teams and. Um, they've obviously played a few more, uh, home games and road games and for the most part have done obviously very well at home. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, for Giannis to kind of close that game out the other night, get the triple double, um, kind of send everybody home, home happy. Uh, I thought it was just a really kind of nice way to wrap up the, the calendar year and, um, you know, kind of what a first few months it has been here of the season. If you're a Bucks fan, seeing, uh, the team go from obviously a disappointing, last season to um, kind of everything firing on all cylinders so far. And uh, obviously areas of concern, whatever we, I think you guys can guess things that, that we can still complain about, but um, in the grand scheme of the universe, obviously things are generally very good in in Milwaukee Bucks nation and um, I'm going to knock on wood and, you know, pray to the basketball gods after saying that because I don't want to jinx it. But, um, you know, it was obviously a, a nice way to kind of wrap up the year here with these uh, few wins in a uh, pretty convincing fashion over, <laughs> over all the New York-based teams. And um, now obviously heading into next season or sorry, next year uh, with, I guess, what the Pistons and then the Hawks before the Raptors, uh, get another couple of games where obviously, you, you know, you really want to be able to take care of business and kind of add to that, uh, that league best record.
0: Yeah. Next Saturday, man, that, that is that there's going to be some juice for that one. Cause uh, I would assume at that point bucks and the Raptors will have the two best records in the league. And yeah, that it's unfortunate the bucks have to do a back-to-back there, uh, cause they do have the Hawks on Friday, but they have two days off before that Hawks game Tuesday friday saturday um but yeah that that raptors game is going to be crazy uh, and you mentioned the crowds but yeah the the last two uh the the december 27th game against the Knicks, december 29th game against the nets obviously um you had just kind of experienced it where you're like okay well i'm home for the holidays so i need to get to this pelicans game and you know i think uh, that was uh, judging from my social media uh, feed and people tweeting at me saying this the first time I'm at Pfizer forum or whatever, like I think that was what a lot of people did on the 27th and the 29th. And, you know, you, you mentioned it, but just the fact that, you know, the whole building knows Giannis needs a triple double and knew it for, I think most of the fourth quarter. And, you know, he, there's multiple chances for guys to hit threes for him. It doesn't happen. And then, you know, you know, during all of that, all of a sudden it's, Oh, he hits this left wing three and Oh, now he goes behind his back and Euro steps for a finger roll. And you know, you're, you just getting all these moments and you're thinking, Oh man, it would have been great if he could have got that triple double. And then just, uh, I mean, seemingly magically uh, he, he was able to get that last rebound get that last assist. And uh, you know, I, I, talked to him about it after the game and i think a, a number of people had, have seen the clip but you know that that's the loudest that's the loudest mvp chant we've had at pfizer forum uh, i don't even i don't even know if there's one that could kind of compare to it but you know it the reason i, I think one it had that there's a number of reasons that it all happened but you know like that was the the most kind of uh you know just just the most MVP-ish kind of performance that that Giannis had had. Like there was no, he's got the, he's hitting jumpers. He's got the three, he's got all the great plays. Then he finally gets a triple-double and, you know, it just kind of erupted. And uh, obviously Giannis uh, always kind of, anytime I ask him about stuff like that, he he kind of downplays it because that's just kind of the guy Giannis is. And he tried to do it and I was like, it's pretty loud. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's loud. Um, <laughs> He's like, you know, I, I just try to, you know, keep that out of my mind, but yeah, it was, it was pretty loud. So I got to thank the fans for that. But yeah, I, I thought the crowds have been great. And, uh, obviously the team has been great. And I think it's, they've given kind of people a lot of, a lot of things to cheer for. Uh, there, there's really no doubt about that. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a, a wild time when you, when you kind of think back and reflect on, you know, one year ago, like the Bucks were, I, I don't even know what their record was at this time, I'd have to check, but, you know, mired in a season that wasn't going where they wanted it to go, or, you know, scrap, scraping together wins and not enough of them. And, you know, Jason Kidd was just a little, just a little ways away from like three weeks away from getting fired. <laughs> like that's, that's what happened, uh, uh, in the, uh, what, January 20th or 22nd or something like that. So, um, yeah, you just think back a year and things have have definitely changed for the better. And, uh, you know, instead of uh, the funny thing is always, you know, instead of thinking about this year and, and how great stuff is, like I spent my weekend talking with people about how you keep the team together and the contracts that are coming up and, and all of the things that you do in the off season. And, and it's like, well, there's still There's still a season left here. And, you know, I think some of those decisions uh, probably are predicated on how well this team does in the playoffs. But uh, we're talking about the playoffs as a sure thing. Uh, We're talking about, uh, you know, this team for sure getting to a spot and, you know, thinking about is, in the Eastern Conference Finals trip uh, in their future is, is could they even go to the finals? Like that—that that was a question I kept getting asked this past week uh, on my radio hits, and uh, I mean it just speaks to the health of this organization, kind of the spot that they're in right now. So, uh, good time to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan.
1: Yeah, and uh, just looking back at last year for those curious. So last year through 35 games, the Bucks were 19 and 16. Um, so you know, six games worse than than they are this year. Uh, and they, the last game of the Jason Kidd era was January 20th, uh, and he was fired on January 22nd, which was that Monday. So uh, January 20th, 2018, they lose to the Sixers by 22. Uh, they dropped to 23-22, and 22 and then uh, beat the Suns, and then uh, that Friday, January 26, beat the Nets, and I think Giannis had like 41 or something in that game. More importantly, uh, that was the game where Giannis celebrated uh, the, the birth of my daughter, who was born on January 26th, 2018. So um, basically they, yeah, they're like basically a month ahead of schedule in terms of wins. Cause that win last year, they got their 25th win on January 26th a year ago, obviously this year, uh, they've done it with 12 fewer losses. So rather than 25, 22, they're 25 and 10. And obviously you, um, you know, cross your fingers that you can once again, uh, at least win these next couple of games building up to that, uh, that Raptors game. Um Are there there other kind of the Matilda Madden era of Milwaukee Bucks basketball? Exactly, exactly. It's been pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah. She never had to know a world in which Jason Kidd was uh, was Bucks head coach. Um, (laughs) I guess a couple other thoughts. We kind of glossed over a little. You know, you mentioned the Middleton stuff. Obviously, seeing him go eleven out of fifteen. Um, against the Nets was was really nice seeing him hit four out of six threes you know he he obviously scored effectively the game before as well um but to see him he didn't really you know, I think he was only what, one out of three on triples I think in that game mm. so this was I think more of the kind of template for how you would want middleton to play um, 11 out of 15 four out of six from three yeah we'd like to see him shoot even more threes but um you know seven assists no turnovers he was plus 20 which was a team high. Um, you know, he was he was really good um, and it was also obviously fun to see Brook Lopez um, bomb away, uh, hit seven out of 15 threes, uh, eight out of 17 overall, 24 points um, against his former team. And um, it was interesting, Bledsoe, we mentioned the other day how Bledsoe has like been kind of more like kind of like he's had like it seems like more games where he just sort of picks the spots offensively and kind of will have quiet nights, had his second straight um, sub single-digit scoring game um, against the, the Nets and actually did not did not close out the game. George Hill um, got the nod uh, sort of with the closing lineup. And, um, you know, I think... It's going to be something
0: to monitor.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know... Um, and, and I, I mean, I don't know. The way you said that made it seem like... like I'm not, like, hunting for controversy here so much as um, it's just, like, nice that, like, if Bledsoe's kind of, like, having a man night, that you can just be like, oh, George Hill, like, go close out this game with Malcolm Brogdon, right?
0: Yeah. Um
1: or, or without Malcolm Brogdon, right? You you've got a bunch of other guys you could even play ahead of Brogdon. Um although, you know, Brogdon had eighteen points on fourteen shots, six boards, uh, two assists. He was a plus eighteen the other night as well. So, you know, Brogdon sort of did, did did what I think you would have wanted from Brogdon um as well. So um again, like, you know, I think I think that's one of those interesting things. I mean, I think understandably like the with that big trade of Deli and Henson and picks Um, going out and George Hill coming in um, understandably the big focus was on kind of the the cap side of it but you know and we talked about it I mean this this was a rare a rare opportunity where you basically do like a salary dump and you actually get back a better player Uh, and again I I don't know how long George Hill is going to be in Milwaukee probably not past the season I would guess but um, you know being able to throw him into the fire um, that's a that's a really nice luxury to have you know to have George Hill as your third your third guard and you know, you have protection if, if Bledsoe or Brock can get hurt, and you obviously have, you know, a number of other guys who have been, you know, kind of forcing uh, forcing their way into the rotation. Um, I guess maybe the only other guy I'd want to
0: mention from, from the other night was... Just what I want to talk about that before you do. Sure. Okay. Um, so I guess why I say it like that, um, a, a situation monitor, is, you know, this is, this is the second or maybe even the third game that we've seen George Hill close instead of Eric Bledsoe. And... You know, I, I just thought, you know, you, we said it on, I'm trying to think, the Christmas Day podcast. You know, we were t- when we were talking about Chris and in his slump, and, you know, you mentioned the fact that, you know, Bledsoe's probably been, like, the second most important guy to the team's success this year behind Giannis. And, you know, just kind of the way that he's been able to defend, the way that he's been able to, you know, kind of pick his spots offensively and really fit into uh, exactly what Mike Boonholzer's been doing. And, you know, I, I think obviously George Hill is a guy that Bud likes and I'm sure was ecstatic to get in a trade. And, uh, you know, George Hill has closed NBA finals games before. Um, so like that, that's really helpful and good, but, um, you know, I I always, I, after I just talked about not doing this, um, you know, when you think about it going forward, like, you know, is, is Eric Bledsoe going to be okay with not closing games? He was obviously huge for the Bucks in clutch situations at the start of the season. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's going to be interesting to watch just because Bledsoe was such a, a vital part of this team. Uh, and he still is a vital part of, the, of this team. I'm not trying to say that he isn't. But, you know, for him to go from pretty much like he was, he was – really helping close out games and they were going to that, uh, pick and roll with him and Giannis a lot early in the season for him to go from that to not closing games, you know, speaks to how good George Hill is and, um, how comfortable Mike Boonholzer is with him and, you know, how good he can be. But also, um, I think it just makes all of the, the Eric blood, all the Eric blood. So conversation, all the more interesting. Um, as you know, if this continues to happen in games and like this isn't an every game thing, but it has happened a couple times since George Hill has been on the team. You know, I think that, you know, the conversation for Eric Bledsoe, you know, gets a little bit more interesting. Does that chop a couple million off of his ultimate deal? Um, You know, does, is he comfortable with that? Is he okay with someone else closing? And so like all those things, you know, we, we talk about the dynamics of, all these guys needing contracts and how it's largely gone well for all of them because the Bucks are winning so much. But um, you know, if you're, you're not getting to close games like Eric Bledsoe uh, has, you know, not done once or twice now, um, you know, uh, maybe things change a little bit. So I just think it'll be it'll be something to monitor and something to you know kind of keep an eye on. And yeah, I, I'm not trying to say that there's a problem there or anything, but you know, I think anyone could kind of imagine a problem rising because of that
1: yeah and i mean to be clear i mean we you know hill had a slow start i mean his numbers with the bucks I and mean, they're still pretty bad individually he's shooting since, since he yeah. came over he's shooting twenty eight percent from three 36 percent overall from field um mm-hmm. so obviously his his shot has not been there yet but you know i mean i think we've seen it over the last you know week or two like I mean, he's historically been a good shooter, 38%, never been a big volume three guy, but we know he's better than than what he's shot so far. And I think we're, we're starting to see that. And probably the most interesting thing too is, I mean, he has two turnovers in 10 games um, and 21 assists. So, I mean, he hasn't been like an assist machine or something like that, but, um, you know, that's one of those ways you can kind of make up for maybe not being very, you know, having your shot going well, um, if you can just be good with, with taking care of the ball. So he's he's obviously been able to do that, you um, you know, better and interesting, you know, again, not big sample size, but in, uh, let's see, 400 and I think 37 uh, possessions with the Bucs, uh, he has, he has, uh, the Bucks have been plus 10 net rating with him on the court. Um, so um, obviously things have generally gone pretty well. Their offense has generally been pretty good in spite of the fact that um, overall they have not shot the ball from three well with him on the court, which isn't surprising given he hasn't shot the ball well, um, but they've been pretty good on both ends. And, you know, I think you mentioned like, you know, I think he's found some good, good initial, um, success. I don't know how sustainable it is. You've, we've talked about his, um, maybe not always understanding where he should be and kind of the let it fly type offense. Um, <sighs> but he has found some success with, uh, with a lot of the the bench kind of units that, uh, that have been thrown out there. And, um, DJ Wilson had another pretty, pretty solid night. Um, uh, the other day, uh, against, he didn't have the, the kind of, I, I, I did not get to discuss with you the, the double double DJ uh, had on uh, uh, whatever it was. My, I'm, I'm, my days are totally screwed up now just because it's vacation. But um, but the Knicks game was Same. a Thursday, I guess. Um, the double double he had against the Knicks, obviously, was huge. Uh, and seven point seven boards again against the Nets was was solid. I mean, again, these aren't really necessarily the the best tests of uh, of how good DJ Wilson is. Um, I think you know probably the most impressive thing he's done so far is you know a couple weeks ago seeing him hold his own first against Blake Griffin, which he'll get a chance to do again uh, in this next game. And then also against Anthony Davis. Um, so those are probably, his, I think his two most impressive sort of defensive outings, but you know, he's continued to look very good, you know, and, and playing with, I, I wouldn't say physicality, but with energy. Right. And, and, you know, just kind of showing that like, Hey, if you put yep. him on the court, even with, you know, especially with like kind of ran, against random dudes, like the, certainly the Knicks and Nets have plenty of, um, you know, he can go out and, and, Better than those guys. And one thing I did find interesting, we talked about it for the pod. I was a little surprised, but DJ is basically like the, and I mean this is in many ways like makes him more valuable. But um, and again, I don't find this necessarily sustainable. But the Bucks have been terrific with him on the court and Giannis off the court. And obviously, the fact that you know they've been able to continue to defend well and be good offensively with Giannis on the bench, um, you know, is a big positive. If you're not going to get you know crushed when Giannis is off the floor. Um, but it's interesting cause they've been basically like barely, you know, slightly positive net rating when DJ and Giannis play together, which I thought was interesting. Cause it seems like I mean, we've seen a fair bit that Giannis and DJ play the two big spots together, um, they're just plus 0.9 net rating, um, haven't been particularly good offensively, been pretty solid defensively. Um, and so I'm curious to see kind of like how that, um, evolves and if that, you know, hopefully I would expect that to certainly get better. Uh, I would expect kind of the non Giannis minutes to get worse. Um, but I think it's interesting just because, I mean, we don't have Giannis or we don't have Ursan back yet. We'll see kind of like what happens when Ursan gets healthy. I mean, Ursan really wasn't very good for a while, even before uh, he broke his nose. Um, so I have to think DJ is going to continue to get minutes. Um, but I think it's especially interesting, I think, just like longer term, just because with DJ and Giannis together on the court, uh, obviously, the Bucks don't switch much, but just the fact that you have more mobility and, you know, you have basically guys who are able to, you know, in a pinch, if needed, accidentally, whatever, um, are just more versatile defensively than, you know, if you're running Giannis with kind of, you know, Ursan, which has been sort of the most common sort of quote unquote small lineup that the Bucs have run, like obviously Ursan can maybe sort of switch in a pinch at times, but he obviously does not move nearly as well as DJ. And so um, I think that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch. And, you know, it might be not until the playoffs that we would see the bucks kind of run more kind of wholesale switch type stuff. But um, I think that's really a kind of a key thing that, you know, if DJ can continue to play well, Um, I think makes him really interesting and and again would potentially give him the ability to take minutes from Fawn Maker, which um, you know, the way the way DJ has been rebounding and the fact that he's just a lot more skilled offensively in terms of just being able to dribble and, and I think just, you know, pass and, kind of skill stuff um i think just you know catch basketball <laughs> uh i think that that gives them an interesting dimension because mm-hmm. you know in the past we've always thought like oh well if the bucks want to go to a switching defense and it has to be with thawne playing center um, and maybe that's maybe that's not the case so i don't know anyway just spewing my my since we have to have a dj wilson segment on every show now um, he's given us no choice i thought that was just an interesting thing to mention because um, you know maybe a little surprising in terms of the on off stuff being maybe a little reverse from what you might expect but um but uh definitely something to watch and and obviously uh i don't know i mean nothing about dj's play right now like feels unsustainable it's not like he's he's shooting well from three but it's not like that's why he's earning minutes right like he's just kind of working hard defensively and you know maybe he won't always yep. rebound as solidly as he has or whatever but trying is generally something that should be pretty pretty sustainable and uh you know being able to catch and hand off and make decent reads on both ends you know those are the kinds of things that you know you don't you wouldn't expect guys to go through through slumps in
0: yeah no those are difficult things to slump on and um also shout out to dj for still letting the inner bench guy inside of him come out uh i can't remember who dunked it um Giannis, was it a Giannis dunk when he guy? jumped
1: when, yeah. he, when he jumped up yeah it was, i think middleton <laughs> threw a lobby, of yannis yes, yes yes he like jumped up in the air in excitement as it went through yeah
0: uh that was perfect <laughs>
1: while he while he was on the court yes. to be clear if people didn't see the clip dj was in the shot as Giannis yeah. dunked it and he like <laughs> jumped up and like pulled his knees way up it was like he's trying to like jump a really high jump rope or something yeah
0: uh it was wonderful it was delightful and it showed like you know like the pure joy that you can get from playing serious basketball. Um, so I loved it. But um, more seriously, like thinking about DJ, um, you know, I was i am trying to think. I was talking with Matt Moore a little bit on Twitter about, you know, uh, the Bucks and, you know, how you see them going forward and, you know, what kind of team they could be in the playoffs. And he had mentioned that, you know, the, the game that sticks with them is the first Boston game. And you know, I I'd, I'd said like you know, I think that's a good one, and you know, I think that's a, a game to to worry about and you know, think about when you're thinking about the Bucks' ceiling. But also to me, that was like the the most stubborn Mike Boonholzer had been the entire season, where you know, we, I think going into the game, we we kind of knew about how a, a pick and pop big might exploit the Bucks' defense and. You know that was the least flexible they were, and they didn't really start doing other things defensively until the fourth quarter. And it was just like, okay, you knew that going in that you could struggle against Al Horford, and they did. And you know, uh, I had a couple Bucks fans jump in and be like, well, you know, if if teams do play Lopez off the floor, that's fine because you know DJ Wilson is is ready to go. And it was just like, oh, okay, like let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Like I'm not sure that DJ Wilson is going to be that guy, but. You, what you mentioned there is kind of the big thing that you know if he can be that guy it, it's hugely important for this team it, it would be massive for this team that uh dj is obviously quicker than urson so that was kind of mike boonholzer's counter at the start of the season was okay if lopez gets played out the floor we'll just go to we'll just go to urson and now you're seeing that DJ is kind of in that role and he's, he's getting to close some fourth quarters. And, uh, you know, just that athleticism, I think is huge that, uh, if teams are going to, to try to pick and pop the bucks to death, then, you know, you need a guy that could recover a little bit quicker and get out to the line faster and run guys off the line. And, you know, that, that could be DJ Wilson. And I do think, that uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to, to say he's, he's ready to go. And, and that's what what lineup you want to use in the playoffs but you know the next 50 games are important for that Um, for figuring out like just what can you do when when it is crunch time and you know how how flexible can you become because you know we end up sort of talking about that all the time in the playoffs is you see each other all the time you're going to have team specific looks like that that are going to exploit your opponent and you, you know that you're going to see them for seven games or four games or five or six. And during those games, there's going to be certain looks. So if you can be incredibly flexible, you you can be incredibly versatile, then you can, you know, hopefully limit those, those things that other teams can take advantage of. And, you know, I think it's going to be, it'll be fun to watch to see, you know, what DJ Wilson can do, how he can contribute to that. And, you know, if that is, you know, kind of the counter, because I think everyone kind of thinks of Thon Maker as that guy. Um, but you also mentioned Thon Maker as a role man uh, in his struggles catching the basketball um, and, you know, just kind of how how he can be a, a really competent part of offense right now is just shooting corner threes. But DJ has shown an ability to do a little bit more on the roll, make a, make a few decisions, dribble handoffs, stuff like that. Like, I do think you could see the Bucks team be more versatile if DJ Wilson can do those things. But uh, we are very early in that life cycle. Um, and, and we'll we'll have to watch and see kind of as teams get to know him a little bit better and, you know, as the Bucks get to know him a little bit better and how they can use him, you know, kind of how all that progresses.
1: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing too, I was like, I was looking at the numbers and like, you know, one of the things um... – and, and I'll I'll say this too. I mean, as we mentioned the other day, I mean, I think Thon is, has generally been very solid. He he didn't make a shot, and you know, obviously, we didn't necessarily see that against the Um, uh, and I again, I apologize if it sounds like I'm always overly negative on Thon, but you know, comparing him to DJ, um, you know, just like another kind of small thing, just on the offensive glass as well. Um, you know, Thon is, and I, I obviously part of this is because he obviously shoots threes, so he's not always near the basket the way uh, you know like a typical big man would be but um it's tough because like i i I feel like i never see thon get, get offensive rebounds like he just doesn't really seem to have a nose for the offensive glass he's actually been um i would say probably i think he's actually been a fair bit better on the defensive glass this year like overall his rebound rate is still Basically, that of like a small forward. He he just, you know, whatever reason, just doesn't. Team, his team just doesn't tend to rebound while he's on the court. I mean, he's not, he's not like Brooke Lopez, where he's just doing an amazing job boxing out, and that's why he doesn't get the rebounds. Um, But like his first two years, eight point four percent, seven point one percent offensive rebound rate. Mm -hmm. This year, four percent. Um, which is basically like like DiVincenzo and I think George Hill and like basically a number of the guards also are basically right around that 4% rate. And DJ has been like 7 or 8%. Um, and I think just again, like just that activity level. And again, it's like not a huge difference, but that's just like another thing that like a guy like DJ can do. He probably brings you around, you know, similar kind of defensive versatility, but, um, but then he can also, I mean, he's been a better defensive rebounder than Thon, been a better offensive rebounder than Thon. Um, obviously he's a better handler and I think just generally decision maker. Uh, although Thon, I think it was against the Knicks. Thon had like just this crazy, it was against the Knicks, they had like a crazy whip pass inside for DJ, I think. Um, so so every, every once in a while we see Thon kind of break out um, like a, a nice pass like that, but um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, yep. it's going to be interesting to sort of see, you know, just have that optionality. And I mean, we we haven't even talked about, you know, Sterling Brown, who I think can also play the four, um, if you want to go in like an even smaller, kind of even more mobile type, small lineup, right? Like if you wanted to play Giannis, the five, cause whatever, for some reason, teams are really small. Um, you'd have even more optionality there. I think probably I like playing DJ with Giannis in principle, just because, um, You know, I think DJ does have good enough feet, you know, that like he's not going to get totally taken advantage of more and um as much as i think sterling is a very good rebounder for a guy his size um you know he's he's not he hasn't been as good as, as dj overall when you just look at like the rebound rates type stuff so um being able to have you know another guy who, who is more of a bigger guy out there where you don't lose a ton uh, mobility wise i think is a positive so anyway i mean i think it's just kind of i think the theme again like what we're seeing you know we talked about it here with george hill talking about with dj it's optionality. Right. And, and that's, I think just something that, um, you know, if, if you don't have just, you know, the Warriors, you know, just star laden lineups or even Philadelphia, right. I mean, Philly, as much as there's some questions around the fit of, of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler, you have obviously just like this top end talent that the Bucks, um, beyond Giannis don't have, right. They don't have three top 20 ish type, type stars. Um, so being able to kind of play different ways, you know, styles make fights, that kind of stuff. Um, being able to kind of throw different looks at teams and have depth. Um, and again, you know, your 12th, 13th, 14th guys are not going to win you a playoff series typically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, being able to bring guys off the bench and win those second unit battles, I mean, that's that's really important. And um, I think that's that's one of those things where, again, like, you know, just seeing kind of guys step off, step up, um, you know, deeper in the rotation, play well, it's just important it's more on the core, it's important from a you know roster construction standpoint, being able to like have better trade assets, all these different things. And um I I, I will need to update my uh my uh Buck salary graphic because I think I had DJ in like the meh um column and I, I think I need to move him into the uh core slash value uh <laughs> column. So um that's that's another another big milestone for DJ Wilson.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Okay um i think that's gonna be it for us for today somehow we had essentially a conclusion to this thing about 25 minutes ago and just went some more but that's us uh so so happy to have you uh listen to us and we're happy to keep talking and talking about the bucks uh hopefully you enjoyed it we'll be back again tomorrow for frank man i'm eric name this has been lockdown bucks we'll talk to you tomorrow